Hello, listeners. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Rick Goldschmidt, who, among other things, is the official biographer and historian for Rankin-Bass Productions. If Rankin-Bass sounds familiar, but you can't quite place it, just think of animated specials like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman, The Year Without a Santa Claus, and several other holiday favorites. Rick has authored several books on the subject, and his depth of knowledge is absolutely astounding. In this particular conversation, Rick and I discuss Mad Monster Party, the 1967 feature, which feels just right this time of year. So let's get in the Halloween spirit and listen to the interview. Uh, Listeners, welcome back to Chewing the Scenery Horror Movie Podcast. Um, This is a very special Chewing the Scenery episode. I'm sitting down with Rick Goldschmidt, who you may know from the Rankin-Bass specials uh, books. He is the official biographer and historian for the Rankin-Bass specials and a collector of an unbelievable amount of cool pop culture stuff. And we're doing this Halloween show to talk uh, primarily about Mad Monster Party. Um, this was a uh, 1967 release. Right. And right. Uh, and uh, came out in March for some reason, but we still think of it as a Halloween special. Um, for listeners who don't know who you are, uh, can you just kind of uh, give the uh, the lowdown on what it is you do and, and, and why you do it? Sure. Well, um, I'm the historian, uh, biographer for the studio, Rankin Bass Productions, Arthur Rankin Jr. and Jules Bass produced all of the great holiday specials like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman. They even did The Hobbit and uh, the King Kong show, the Jackson 5 show. They did a lot of things. And one of the things they did was this feature film, Mad Monster Party, which was kind of a uh, a quiet cult film, I would I would call it, in its day. In 67, when it was released, it came out in kitty matinees um, because the really the reason it got relegated to kitty matinees was they signed a three-picture deal with Joseph E. Levine, who was a big producer in the day. Um, he produced The Graduate. He produced uh, Hercules movies. He produced uh, all kinds of different things in in the entertainment world. So he wanted to get into animation, and he he was looking for a Mary Poppins-type film, and that's what The Daydreamer was. But when The Daydreamer was released in 66, he wasn't all that happy with it. He didn't think it hit the mark. So Mad Monster Party was the next feature film to be released and it kind of got snuck out rather than uh, all the hoopla that it should have gotten. They should have been advertising it in the trailer as the makers of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Sure. And the makers of, uh, you know, whatever else they did by the time the movie came out. But they didn't advertise it that way and it kind of built up a cult following uh, up, up to the present day. Now, the, f- the first accessibility, like you mentioned, were, you know, the, the kids' matinee showings in, in, a, in a cinematic release. Did you find it strange, in a, and I don't know if you, if you saw it as a kid or, or not, but 
but later in life, did you find it strange that they chose cinematic release instead of a TV special? Yeah, um, the first time I saw it was on Channel 44 in Chicago. Um, it had already aired on WGN in the early 70s, and then it moved over to Channel 44, which was even a harder station. It was a UHF, to pick up. wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was a UHF station. And I knew it was the same animation from Rudolph and Santa Claus is coming to town and all everything that I've loved for years but I was just surprised what's it doing on channel 44 Uh, so I didn't know anything about the history of it at that point it was just I knew it was an Arthur Rankin and Jules Bass production and I thought it was very cool you know because I was a big fan of all the classic monsters and here they all are in animagic stop motion um you know creature features which we watched and svenguli the first svenguli um was on channel 32 back then so it kind of went all together with that in my memory and uh i just thought it was a great neat halloween movie i i didn't know it was a feature film in and kitty matinees <laughs> yeah it seems strange and uh and as you mentioned and, and and i should share this with the listeners i've mentioned creature features and i've mentioned the original sven Gulli before but uh, we're sitting down here in oaklawn illinois the next neighborhood over from where i grew up uh, we're within a few years of the same age <laughs> and that means you were probably watching the same exact broadcast just across town yeah when i was watching those universal horror movies on Friday night on Creature Features or watching, on, I think Saturday was Sven Gulli, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and and, uh, and we, uh, you know, we had, uh, you know, such a uh, fortunate, we got the lucky bounce for to be the second wave of Monster Kids because right. they, they released these movies uh, to, be a, to be able to be televised. Right. And I s- still have the, uh, the newspaper, the full-page... I think it was in the Chicago Daily newspaper. They put images of all the universal monsters for creature features, one a week. Oh, wow. And I still have those. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, the monster, you're, you're right, the second wave of, of monster craze, craziness was in the early 70s. Yeah. And that's why Spenguli was able to go on the air and... And Creature Features was a big show for everybody that lived in the Chicago area. So Mad Monster Party kind of fit right in uh, with that. Um, You know, all the monsters are there. And it wasn't like they hooked up with Universal Studios either. Um, Jack Davis sort of redesigned all of the the classic Universal monsters and... uh, gave frankenstein the uh the bald head yeah and uh dracula actually dracula's design the jack davis design is what was used for jim henson's count oh really that's why the resemblance (laughs) right i I always felt like i saw a resemblance there yeah with the nose kind of being very angular and the the monocle yeah you know because bella lugosi i don't think wore a monocle if he did it wasn't on his face right might have been hanging from his uh his lapel his lapel but yeah the jack davis design was very important i think to the 
to the film to Mad Monster Party. Now, do you know um, whether there was a licensing issue uh, with Universal? Because, um, like, they weren't originally involved? Right, no. Uh, things were a lot different, I think, um, back in the late 60s. I've looked at the contracts from Mad Monster Party. I have Boris Karloff's contract, and really didn't go into licensing, marketing, or anything. Um, right. It just said that we're basically going to use your image to promote the film, you know, meaning a trailer or advertisements or whatever. doesn't really go into um, any kind of licensing. So there wasn't a need to, to hook up with Universal uh, to discuss any of that. Because I think the characters were just sort of more generic versions of them rather than the exact. doesn't look like Boris Karloff Frankenstein. It looks like uh, Goofy Almost <laughs> Jack more like, Davis. More like Frankenberry. <laughs> right, right. So they didn't really have to deal with that. Now, maybe in today's world you would because everybody's so sue happy, but... Yeah. But back then it was, you know, it was just a natural thing for them to to do a Halloween movie and use all the basic monsters. <laughs> yeah, it and I and I guess uh today copyright would would be the immediate problem if you did anything that resembled Frankenstein, anything that resembled the right. the universal version. In fact, um Bela Lugosi Jr sued to be able to use the rights of his father, Bela Lugosi, as Dracula, but he's he's pretty sharp. Uh, if you look at the model kit, mm-hmm. um, it, it'll say Bela Lugosi as Broadway's Dracula, because he did play Dracula on Broadway, right. and the costume is slightly different. Right. So he, he's pretty uh, shrewd about the workaround, but I think if you tried to do anything today, uh, yeah, it would be problems from several sides i did uh, become really good friends with sarah karloff because of my involvement with mad monster party in fact they asked me to be in the the karloff documentary that came out last year i saw it and uh if i'm not in it i might have been cut from the film I, someone told me my uh, table is in it from Chiller uh, <laughs> with my display with the Mad Monster Party mask and everything. And I might have been talking where they didn't show me talking. Um, I never saw the documentary, but I definitely was part of it. And um, Sarah's been a, a friend for a long time now and helped me not only with... Uh, the DVD and Blu-ray re- release of the film, but the soundtrack release, which which never came out. I don't know if you ever noticed in the movie, it says the soundtrack's on RCA Victor Records, but you'll never find that record because it never came out. Oh. So Maury Laws had the... <laughs> you know, kids, kids are out. It's Halloween time. <laughs> <laughs> well... Maury Laws um, had an acetate um, with the order that the songs were supposed to be in for the soundtrack release. So that's what we use for the the CD soundtrack. We were able to clean it up and, and put it out 
with a nice booklet and so forth. Yeah, and, and that's the kind of thing where, um, you know, I, I always like to ask the question about something like this is, what almost got missed? What what <laughs> almost ended up in the dumpster or, or just uh, evaporating into this, you know? Well, another f- famous story that's in my books and my Mad Monster Party book is the fact that they ended up using Frank Frazetta artwork for the movie poster. And if you notice... The artwork is rough. It's not the finished Frazetta art that you would associate with his work. Uh, I mean, his work was very polished painting, you know. Uh, and he did do movie posters. He did quite a few in in the 60s. And uh, so what happened was Arthur Rankin liked the Jack Davis movie poster better than the Frazetta roughs and he always intended to use the Jack Davis poster which I sell copies of uh, on our website and that artwork was out of circulation for a long long time and it's very uh, finished it's pen and ink uh, it's the side cross hatching the side view of the car no this is uh, well that's Frazetta okay that's the Frazetta the one. Jack Davis is all the monsters going up to the castle okay now um, Frazetta's roughs were the car and the chandelier with um, Dracula hanging on the chandelier and and Frankenstein and, and Phyllis Stiller on the stairs they're on stairs and Frazetta didn't know his roughs were going to be used for the movie poster which I deducted that was because Joseph E. Levine decided to use it as opposed to the Jack Davis that Arthur wanted to use. Okay. So somehow it got issued at the theaters for the kitty matinees, as we talked about, and Frazetta saw his art on the poster at a kitty matinee and ripped the poster down and then called up rankin bass and was as mad as hell (laughs) and he got his money because he was he looked like clint eastwood back then right you know he was kind of a a strong guy and uh i guess he went to levine to get that money and told him he'd kick his ass if he didn't (laughs) get it so that's kind of how that worked out but arthur didn't remember that story arthur rankin didn't didn't remember that um when he came to my home and signed my poster i i said um how did you get frazetta and he said that he thought it was jack davis still that uh, the finished art was jack davis and i was like no that was frazetta and i had called frazetta's wife to try to get the story but i couldn't get the whole story it kind of came out in bits and pieces yeah, this this is the kind of stuff that uh, <laughs> yeah, a little detective work. Yeah, you, know, you, you find. Well, uh, Frazetta historian put a book out, and it has a color finish version in it, which they'd never use for anything. So that's kind of how I figured out the whole story, you know, from that guy and from people I talked to and Jack Davis and <laughs> yeah, all these different people that were involved. So one of the things about this being a cinematic release, you know, is, is uh, 
that doesn't seem logical to me that they didn't figure out a TV deal and make this thing come out right in October just before Halloween and promote it in TV Guide and the local papers. So do you think this that this uh, feature would benefit from being edited down to a 48-minute runtime to be an hour of television? Yeah, I don't know why they haven't done that yet, but it probably was the fact that Levine, his company was called Embassy, and the year that Mad Monster Party was made, I think he produced 17 movies. One of them was Steve McQueen's uh, movie, Nevada Smith, oh, wow. which had a bigger budget than any of the movies that he put out. The the <laughs> What's that other film? The Graduate had a real low budget. Yeah. That was filmed on, like, practically nothing, but it became a huge, huge hit. Yeah. So he lucked out with that one. But see, Mad Monster Party, I think it was the fact that Arthur Rankin and Jules Bass had a bad sort of parting with Levine, and Levine's company owned the movies you know, the, the Mad Monster Party and so forth. So he had no connection with television and, and no way to cut it down to a short version and no way to even talk to the networks about getting it on TV. I think that's why it kind of got lost in the shuffle for, for so long. But it would make sense to do that today. It seems like it would because uh, it it's, what, an hour and a half right. plus a little? and And it seems like... And I don't mean this to sound negative, uh, but uh, it seems like it's an overcomplicated storyline for kids. <laughs> well, what happened was um, after the story was written by Len Karabkin, uh, he just passed away a couple of years ago. He became an entertainment lawyer in Hollywood, um, and people know Len Karabkin. But anyway, he wrote the story, and Levine wanted the movie longer. Okay. for some reason so he had to add some padding into the story which arthur never liked um the chef cooking pinching um yetch's butt <laughs> and and the the zombie bird man right like spinning up their propellers on their planes and some of that stuff was just added in to pad the the film to make it longer so Arthur did do an edit for himself that was shorter without all that stuff that probably would hold the attention better for younger viewers. Um, but you're right, even a shorter, shorter version <laughs> right. might be even a better idea because everyone's attention span is so short right now. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, now more than ever. and everything. Yeah, <clears throat> and uh, the story is very... Um, quiet yeah <laughs> i'll say and it does take a long time to get through the whole movie and it may not be as action-packed as as rudolph and some of the other more popular ones but i kind of like that about it myself because the music is very jazzy yeah it's very different than the holiday stuff so do you feel like um this would have benefited greatly to have romeo muller do some writing for it instead um, maybe i think len karabkin did a, a good script you know with the the uh the whole island blowing up at the end and then francesca and uh, felix turn out to be robots 
uh, was kind of funny. And, and the whole thing, they brought Harvey Kurtzman in uh, late, and he punched up the script with some funny one-liners, and he put Fetzers in the store. Harvey Kurtzman was the original um, publisher of Mad Magazine. Right. And he went on to do other magazines that were similar, like Trump and um, Humbug was another one of okay. his. And he, he did uh, Annie Fanny for, for Playboy, and Jack Davis did some of the art, and so did Frazetta. So it all comes together like th- that's, that's why they called this movie Mad Monster Party. Um, he was making fun of the word mad okay. because Kurtzman left mad and Bill Gaines took it over. So it was kind of a, a dig at the magazine uh, with the question mark after Mad Monster Party. Well, it was like a joke. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, so the so the uh, so the movie itself um, was kind of gone for several years, right? And then finally showed up on VHS, if I'm remembering right, right. right. Yeah. And, uh, Do you have a copy? Have you have you watched that version of it? Yeah, and um, the print was really washed out. Yeah. Very contrasty, and it wasn't until Anchor Bay decided to issue dvds and they actually they hired me as a producer on those and i provided not only extra content for the dvds but i provided a booklet and even at kmart they had a card set that i produced a four postcard set and um, the print that they got was immaculate at that time and we were surprised like where did you find this print it's like gorgeous you know um so that was the first time that we've ever seen it where it wasn't like a washed out 16 millimeter it was a 35 negative that they found somewhere and uh with the dvd release that renewed interest in it obviously and Eventually, Lionsgate put it out, not only on DVD, but also Blu-ray. But their Blu-ray scan is not as good as the DVD, and it's hard to figure out why. That seems strange. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so a, a person wanting to buy this would benefit from finding the first DVD release. Well, the Blu-ray-DVD combo, you get the DVD with the really good, okay. colorful print with it's immaculate there's no like broken film or dirt on the film or anything but this the uh, blu-ray scan it's almost like they took another print from somewhere and they scanned it some of it looks really good but some of it doesn't look really good and some of it you can see film breaks and and different things in it that you can't see on the dvd so it's kind of neat to see both yeah, but strange. <laughs> strange. Yeah, I don't think there's ever been a Blu-ray release where the DVD actually looks better than the Blu-ray. But I think Kino Lorber is going to do a new, like a 5K or 4K scan of it, and I'll do the commentary for that for Kino Lorber Scorpion. Oh, that they, sounds they great. They put it out on the Daydreamer. They did a Blu-ray that I did the commentary on, so... 
Yeah. So, um, as far as is uh, you know modern merchandising goes, there's the masks. Uh, Is that Trick or Treat Studios? Yeah, Trick or Treat. They had it for uh, the licensing for a short period of time, and they decided not to go any further with it. I think they put six masks out. I was hoping they would get all the characters, but they decided it wasn't beneficial for them to do. Yeah, they're probably just looking at their bottom line and maybe the sales... Was you know it wasn't as as big as some of their other things, right? You know, yeah. They they do a lot of licensing, right? They do. Yeah. So, um, do you uh, know of any <laughs> any toys in the works? Well, we did do um, a Funko line uh, early on. Uh, there were eight of those figures, and they were like one piece figures that were right. in a cylinder, <clears throat> and. Um, they only licensed those for a short time, too. And then there were action figures of uh, Boris Karloff, Fang, and Dracula through Diamond. Okay. But they didn't go any farther than that. And I think there was a problem with the uh, the materials on that one where the plastic was soft and they were, like, collapsing. Oh, they no. Would, they wouldn't stand up. Um, if you took them out of the packaging. <laughs> oh, that doesn't sound fun at all. No. No. And uh, well, what kind of toy collector are you? Are you the kind who buys one to open and mess around with and one to stay in the package? No. Or, or do you just leave them in the package? No, it depends. It, it, whatever way looks best to me. And I'm not someone that won't take something out of the package. That's good to hear. Uh, you know, it, it depends on what it looks like. If I don't like the packaging, I obviously, I'm going to take the figure out of it, you know, and, and uh, store the packaging away. Um, luckily, the, the, the ones that Funko did look good in the cylinder packaging. I helped with that, um, the packaging quite a bit. So I hope more, rank, you know, more Mad Monster Party stuff comes out. We did a... Uh, print at the Shag. Uh, Shag did a print of Mad Monster Party for the Shag stores. Yeah. And I did a signing both at his West Hollywood and his Palm Springs store. Yeah. And that was really cool. Um, he has a pretty firm grasp on the aesthetic of, yeah. of the 60s illustrations. Yeah. And it was just uh, an important film for him as well. That's good. So to that's hear. why he wanted to do it. We're supposed to do uh, something with the heat miser and snow miser uh, sometime in the near future. So I might be back at the the Palm Springs store, and then he opened up one in Vegas now. Oh wow! Yeah. So maybe I'll do Vegas. I've never been there before. Yeah, he has a good sense of how to reach his audience, doesn't he? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's all that uh, you know, the spy kind of sensibility um james bond type stuff and palm springs is a lot like that you know where all the celebrities had their vacation homes yeah the whole mid-century modern thing right yeah i know it well it's it, <laughs> it's uh it's kind of my favorite architecture my favorite you know furniture design era all and, that stuff and derek yanniger um who you mentioned you interviewed him yeah um who always does Dragon Con. He, he and I did a, 
sort of a Mad Monster Party print together, too, where he did the little tibia and the Fibians uh, band. Yeah. And he originally he did the print for a campaign that we did for a Rankin-Bass documentary. Um, but now, last year, he changed it into a 3D print. It's a glass, three layers of glass and a sort of a box. It's really neat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Derek's illustration style is 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 just uh, perfect for that kind of thing. Right. Um, yeah, and if listeners don't know, I'm pretty sure they all know who Shag is, but if they don't know Derek Yanniger, they need to look him up. Uh, I discovered him, uh, I'd seen his work around, but then I discovered who exactly he was when I got the book Wildsville. Right. It's just terrific. People oh. should pick that one up. He's a big Mad Monster Party fan, and, and uh, actually um, his work is close to Jim Flora's work. Jim Flora illustrated a lot of those jazz record sleeves for the 78s okay. that you'll see, and he also inspired Shag. Yeah. So that's the connection between Shag and Derek and, and their friends. Um, is that Jim Flora uh, art and also the early UPA stuff it was all very simple designed well designed simple stuff yeah you can pick up a magazine uh, (laughs) from the 60s or a cookbook and find these spot illustrations and Mm -hmm. and you could point at that and go I bet Shag saw stuff like this and it inspired him right I bet Derek saw stuff like this and it inspired him and that's what where my um artistic eye navigates to also i i like that design from the early animated commercials and uh these people all came from disney and when when um there was a big strike they branched out into other companies and and some of the people that work for rankin bass came from upa okay like Don Duga, who was their storyboard designer on Mad Monster Party. He came from UPA. He worked for John Hubley, who um, was the original Mr. Magoo designer. Okay, yeah. (laughs) So it all kind of ties in, and that's probably why Derek and Shag like Rankin-Bass so much, like I do, because Jack Davis is such a great designer, for Mad Monster Party, and Paul Coker is such a great designer for a lot of their other stuff. They see that, and and the look of the thing has to really attract you, as well. And that's you know a big part of what why I like Rankin Bass and have become the historian and the biographer. Yeah, there is there is this connective tissue throughout all of those things. Right. And it's, and yeah, so we have these younger illustrators. <laughs> Uh, bringing it into the now, right, and and keeping it kind of current and pertinent. I've seen some amazing drawings of uh, Mad Monster Party characters by new artists. Yeah, some amazing ones. We we had a couple art shows um, at the Van Eaton Galleries, and and you look at some of this work and think, man, this this guy's really good, and it it's very simple styled stuff sort of like Shag and, and Derek, but um, I've seen a lot of really cool 
designs of the Mad Monster Party characters. So yeah, it, it definitely inspires a lot of people in the business. Yeah. Now I have to ask when uh, when you were a kid growing up in this neighborhood uh, or <laughs> near this neighborhood, uh, and it got to be around Halloween time. Uh, how excited were you? Oh, um, I was just thinking about this the other day. I have a lot of uh, Halloween decorations. I put a lot of them out at Halloween time, too. The, the old Beastle brand? Uh, everything. Yeah. Everything. Um, even the new stuff that they they make these big blow-up things. If it looks sort of 60-ish, I'll, I'll get them. You okay, know, yeah. What, whatever design. And I, re, I remember as a kid not only wearing those cool costumes, the Ben Cooper um, yeah. And all that. I, I actually appeared with the guy who designed all the Ben Cooper costumes. Oh, that's great. And at Chiller Theater in New Jersey. He just passed away, but he was with me in my room uh, that I appeared in. So those costumes were real important to me, but also those, um, the light up. Um, the blow molds? The blow molds. Yeah. The, you would go to, on, when you went trick or treating, they would ha most people would have those in their front window. Yeah, and you would know they they would have candy there. Yeah, so it was kind of like you knew what houses to trick or treat at. It's a beacon. And we went <laughs> we went late at night too back then. Oh yeah, we would start at after school and we would go up to like nine o'clock at night, you Absolutely. know, in the dark to go get candy. It's it's not like it is now, but. Where they have set hours and right, you know. yeah, that that just uh, I my I can't wrap my mind around it. Like <laughs> what it would have been like for us because when when we were over in Burbank, and uh, you know Burbank, Illinois, for listeners, um, we would yeah as as soon as we were uh, if it was a school day if right. as soon as we were home from school if if we already had our costumes on, we just like get dinner and head out right and come back after dark. And they would be showing some of the Universal Monster movies on TV yeah. that night. And um, there would be so many kids out on the sidewalk in costumes. You would, like, see everybody out trick-or-treating. It's kind of tailed off in the, in the modern world, but I still get a lot of trick-or-treaters here. That's great. I get, like, about 200. Oh, you do? <laughs> yeah. I'm not far from a mall, so I think people go to the mall, and when none of the stores have candy, they venture out into the neighborhood. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm always happy if I can get two dozen. <laughs> right. And I make it really clear. I have, uh, um, I've reproduced a, uh, a Beastle brand uh, cat, you know, a, oh, yeah. a, an antique design. I've, I've reproduced it as four foot tall cutouts. <laughs> I put them right and left of the gate and I have fake fire pots at their feet. Man. And uh, I put all my beastal jointed skeletons and everything in the windows. <laughs> I have a bunch of picture windows in the front of the house. And it's it could not be more clear. Hey, kids, if you climb the stairs, there's candy up here. Come get it because... <laughs> Uh, I want to keep Halloween alive, you know. Well, I have I have a ritual. I put Mad Monster Party on, which has that music, you know, that's that as I mentioned before, the Maury Laws jazz kind of music. Yeah. And um, I always get pizza, and I have lots of trick or treaters come. <laughs> so it's kind of, you know, next to Christmas, it's it's one of my favorite holidays, and and 
Mad Monster Party is such a big part of it, you know. Um, Alan Swift, uh, you mentioned earlier, um, the yeah. voice of all the monsters <laughs> right, he did. In, in the film. <laughs> yeah. And Felix, too. Um, he was able to, and I thank God I got him for the documentary on uh, the Blu-ray and DVD. He passed away like one or two years later. Oh, wow. But he got to talk about the fact that his friends would ask him to do Peter Laurie, <laughs> or his friends would ask him to do Sidney Greenstreet, and he'd imitate him as a child. And later, when he became a voice actor, he did a lot of the voices on Howdy Doody, like Mr. Bluster, and he did the voices on Diver Dan, um, the underdog show, Simon Bar Sinister, and so forth. So for Mad Monster Party, they needed a lot of movie star voices. And for um, Felix, they, they wanted Jimmy Stewart. So okay. he did j sort of a Jimmy Stewart impersonation. And uh, the Invisible Man was Sidney Greenstreet, and Peter Lorre was Yetch. And, yeah. You know, Dracula was sort of a Bella, but not quite Bella. Right. You know, so, I mean, he did a lot of neat things that it's all one guy doing it. It's pretty impressive. Now, here, here's um, one more question about the characters. Um, obviously, we had a, you know, for Francesca, we had a, a different voice actor. Uh, then we had a singer. And, um, but is it, is it wrong that a puppet is that sexy? <laughs> <laughs> that, the reason I think they did Francesca sort of like Annie Fanny is because um, Harvey Kurtzman was involved. Okay. And Jack Davis, as I mentioned before, he, he did some of the Annie Fanny art. So I think they decided to go more sexy than they ever did before because it was a feature film. And Arthur really liked that character, too. And in many ways, I think Felix is Arthur. Okay. <laughs> he looks like Arthur with the glasses. Yeah. And and they made him a hypochondriac. I don't know if Arthur was a hypochondriac or not, but it seems like he's Felix and Francesca is sort of the Annie Fanny um version of a woman. And Jack Davis drew all women like that on movie posters. Yeah. Um you know, very sexy women. So it kind of makes sense that it was done for a feature film. It's not something they would necessarily do for a family TV uh, special. Right. But Gail Garnett was the perfect voice for her. Oh, yeah. She had a sexy voice, and she pops up in a lot of television shows I watch now. She appeared in Bonanza, and um, she was in Paladin, uh, Have Gun, Will Travel. She did a lot of westerns, and um, even Pernell Roberts, who was Adam in Bonanza, yeah. wrote her liner notes oh. on an album that came out from RCA Victor. So she sang great, too. She had the big hit with um, Will Sing in the Sunshine, yeah, which was a standard. She wrote that, yeah, and um, Dean Martin sang that on his show i mean she was pretty 
pretty talented, Gail Garnett. Yeah, she was from uh, New Zealand, wasn't she? Um, she lives in Canada now, so maybe she originally came from New Zealand. I'm not sure, yeah, but... I, I seem to remember that detail. I could she, be wrong. She's a writer now. She she writes books. Okay. Um, I, I've never interviewed her, but I know friends that have been able to contact her. Yeah. So... Um, for some reason, uh, just a handful of years later, in 1972, they decided to do Mad Mad Monsters. Right. I was <laughs> so, going to bring that up. Yeah. Because you, you tend to forget about it. It was a, it was a cell animated show for the ABC Saturday Superstar movie. And a lot of times, I think as a kid, when I saw that and I saw Mad Monster Party on... Um, channel 44 i mixed the two up in my memories okay because both of them feature skeleton bands okay both of them feature a party yeah (laughs) you know in the feature film they have a big party in the in the special the abc morning um they're having a uh wedding party for the bride and frankenstein getting married so it's sort of a Bride of Frankenstein story versus uh, all the monsters coming together on an island for someone to take over Boris's job, which is what Mad Monster Party. So I kind of mixed up those two stories because they're so similar. It's not a sequel to Mad Monster Party. It's like they used all the characters again, but just in a slightly different way. Yeah. <laughs> So um, is that one available, like on yeah, DVD, that's, Blu-ray? Yeah, that's on DVD. Okay. And uh, they even give you a bonus on there of Jack-O-Lantern, which is sort of a Halloween uh, festival of family classics tale, which is also cool to watch at, at Halloween. So you got three Rankin-Bass Halloween things, and then you got a little bit of Halloween in the... Here comes Peter Cottontail. Oh yeah. And Evil Iron Tail, the Vincent Price character in that, is the most influential character on Tim Burton's career that oh, there yeah. is. Yeah. I mean, I know he loved Mad Monster Party, but he was even a bigger Vincent Price fan. Right. And Vincent Price is wearing black gloves, black leather jacket, has an iron tail. He's very goth in uh um, here comes Peter Cottontail, and that's how Tim Burton approached everything. Right. Whether it was Batman or anything he did, always had that sort of look to it, and he got that from Evil Iron Tail. It's funny you you mentioned this because I I had um, I had heard somebody theorize that um, well not even theorize but observe that uh, that Vincent Price. Uh, and Tim Burton, that there was a fascination and, and a, finally a relationship like Ed Wood had with Bela Lugosi in his later years. Right. And and so the so in a, in a way, Edward Scissorhands is is this love letter to Vincent Price. Oh yeah. You know, would, I I just thought about it. What would have been cool is if Arthur had gotten Vincent Price. See the. Um, here comes Peter Cottontail was 72, 71, 72. If he had gotten Vincent Price, 
at the very end of Mad Monster Party to do the Invisible Man voice while Felix and, <laughs> and Francesca were in the boat. Because, that would have been perfect because Evan Costello. Yeah, yeah, Evan and Costello, he did that one line and, yeah. and ended the film. And, and Mad Monster Party, to me, the closest thing to Mad Monster Party is Evan and Costello meet Frankenstein. Right. They're like two birds of a feather. So would have been cool if he could have did that with uh, Vincent Price, had him do just one line. Yeah. <laughs> So this year, um, you're going to put all the decorations out, and you're going to have... Uh, oh, yeah. You're going to have... Uh, I don't imagine you go so far with 200 trick-or-treaters having full-size candy bars or anything, but... Oh, I get, I get like, those big bags of candy, like the 700-piece things. <laughs> okay. I get a bunch of those, and I end up giving handfuls out. But this year is um, the 55th anniversary of Mad Monster Party. Oh, yeah. So... Uh, I think I might be doing some more interviews on it. I've written so many magazine articles on Mad Monster Party. The last one I did was was in Retro Fan Magazine, um, but I did a lot of them, yeah. like for Scary Monsters and uh, uh, Monster Scene and all the monster magazines. I've written a Mad Monster Party article. I did it for Monster Bash. Chiller Theater used to have a magazine. I did one for that. It's like I, I'm always talking about Mad Monster Party, <laughs> right? which is strange because it's such a... So it's more obscure. It's obscure. Yeah. It's, it's obscure, but it's, it's just as good as the, the classic Rankin-Bass TV specials. Yeah, the, the same attention was given to the Animagic, the, anima right. the animation style, yeah. And it's influenced so many people. In my book, you'll, you'll see Rob Zombie, who's releasing a Munsters film this year. He picked the Mad Monster Party soundtrack as his number one favorite uh, in Rolling Stone. Oh, the wow. year that it came out, out of ten soundtracks, that was his number one. And um, Bruce Tim, who's famous for the animated Batman and Superman uh, series he d he did francesca drawings for me for my book mm -hmm. and i mean there's it's it influences so many people even though it's not the most popular or most famous monster film it it really means a lot to a lot of people yeah it it, it certainly seems to be uh gaining popularity it may be more popular now than it was when it was released right what what i think needs to happen and and we've discussed this um not only does it need another blu-ray release from kino lorber that uh that i can do a commentary for but it needs national exposure now tcm has given it national exposure but but I've talked with Rich Coes, the current Svengoolie, mm -hmm. uh, about getting it on his show. And he wants to get it on his show. He's, he's had difficulty obtaining the television rights because I think because TCM owns them right now. Right. Um, they'd have to give up exclusive rights to airing it so it could be on Svengoolie. But Svengoolie would reach more people. Yeah. For you sure. know, nationwide, it would reach more people than showing it on TCM 
you know, late at night or something. Right. So I hope that happens one day where everyone can watch it on national TV. And Rich is a great example of somebody who went from fan to star because as uh, right. listeners may know when Jerry G. Bishop was the original Sven Gulli, Rich started writing into him with with ideas jokes, um, all right. this stuff and he ended up getting hired as a writer Right, and then became son of Sven Gulli and then now he, <laughs> I think Jerry told him just, just call yourself Sven Gulli you're now him right, <laughs> you know? right. yeah when son of Sven Gulli came along I really enjoyed watching the show then because he was bringing back all the Universal movies that we weren't seeing for a long time. Um, You know, all the sequels and everything else. So it was cool that he was able to do that. And now it's just like a tradition that his show's on the air. And a lot of people are discovering him like in the last five years once uh, he went national on on me tv right. and that's why i think mad monster party would go over big on his show because there are people still watching it and into the old classic monsters you know uh, we screened the move the movie at the flashback convention oh uh, yeah Svenguli and i um I talked a little bit about the movie before it was shown with him. So that was kind of fun. It was like a mini version of actually screening it on TV. And I went on his show, and I was on uh, during the Wolfman. Oh, nice. And we did a segment on, on Mad Monster Party. So, I mean, there's definitely interest, but I think it would be even a bigger... Uh, more famous film if he w- was to air it regularly on Spenguli. And and he would be more than happy to give it a hand up, wouldn't he? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I think we just need to get it away from TCM. Yeah. Yeah. If they're not going to do something right with it, then they need right. to just kind of... Well, they do do stuff right with it because, like I mentioned, I did live tweeting for them and everything, but they don't air it enough. That's what I mean. Like they're, It's like... Yeah, don't hold it back. I think the last time they aired it was in March of the year before last. And I I keep thinking, why don't they air it at Halloween every year? Right. On Halloween. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I mean. It's like, why, you know, wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't it benefit from being in a primetime slot around Halloween? Right. You know, exactly. I'm sure you can get the advertisers to support it. And they could even air Mad 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 Monsters with it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they could no do No one's showing that right yeah, now. Yeah, do a double feature. Right. There's no reason why not. So um, before we wrap it up, I have to ask, um, well, first of all, I encourage the listeners, it's miserbros.com. Right, miserbros.com. They, uh, they can find the book on this movie. Oh, yeah. And I sign and I draw on it, too. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> so so um, uh, before wrapping it up, I have to ask, what are some Halloween favorites other than the obvious Mad Monster Party and uh, Mad Mad Monsters? Well, <laughs> what do you put on to get in the, I in watch, the spirit? I watch all of the early Hammer movies. I watch nice. all of the early Universal monster movies. All of them. Yeah. I, 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 I have to get through them all. And uh, there's a lot of like Halloween episodes of uh, television shows I have to watch. Like, the Happy Days one is a really cool... Oh, where they go into the haunted yeah. house? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, 
there's a there's a Halloween version of everything. Uh, yeah. You just have to kind of look for it. So I'm, I I kind of like going through the old television shows like that. That's mostly what I collect, is uh, television from the 50s and 60s and the early 70s. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, I can't thank you enough for the work yeah, you've done. Thanks to, for having me. To to uh, get these things into the <laughs> into the public eye and and uh, to uh, to raise the popularity and the and and the you know put the focus on uh, something that has such a charm and and uh, you know bring a bring it to a bigger audience. Uh, I think yeah. it'll it'll last for another at least another fifty years. You should hope so. All right, Rick. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. That looked like the Get Smart car. It kind of did. The sunbeam. Yeah, we'll just let the episode fade out with that. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Some of them buy multiple books, <laughs> and, and 
and they want to make sure the books are in perfect condition and it, it just takes on a, diff, a different meaning to them and yes they they're not all um, you know one religion one uh, you know <laughs> they're yeah, walk of from life. all walks of life yeah, yeah they are and Rankin Bass kind of drew that that in I think it's it's more about the storytelling and, and the quality of the characters that makes it universal I would say yeah um, like I said everybody recognizes the heat miser and snow miser doesn't matter from what country or any age that the little kids will be pointing them out from walking by at at a comic-con so i think they're gonna last forever because of that that's great well rick thank you for uh, talking about the christmas specials with us and uh, thanks for having me yeah we're gonna we're gonna encourage all the listeners to uh you know, even if it's not the best DVD or the best presentation, <laughs> go see these things again. It's that time of year. And they can always come to my books and uh, and read about how they were put together piece by piece at uh, miserbros.com. Excellent. Well, thank you, Rick. <laughs> thank you.